get ready to rumble! Ha! Yeehaw! Yeah, uh-huh. It's me. It's your co-host of the Zero Hour. It's Mark Fitz. Joined by who? Christine Chapman. And who Your is that? Host. With the most. <laughs> and uh, we have a very interesting, special, thrilling guest. His name is Ben Tuff. Ben, say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, man. We are going to have some fun over the next short while. Uh, Christine. Yes. Because you know I like to throw out English accent on occasion. <laughs> of course you do. Even though I'm not even remotely English. Um, would you like to tee up a little bit, Mr. Tough? Like maybe start with like... How I know how I know Ben. Correct. And how he... Don't give too much away though. How he I, managed I, to... I will really <laughs> win. Say right? yes, yes. By so, the way, the coolest last name in business and for what he does specifically. So Ben and I met when he was at the Rumsey Hall School. And honestly, one of my last conversations with you, Ben, was about a Chinese set of twins, I believe, um, that we were placing at Rumsey Hall School or discussing the placement of at Rumsey Hall School years ago. Right. No, absolutely. Do you remember? I, I... Yeah, and I said, I can relate to that one. Yes. Because if there's one thing I'm a professional at, it's how to have a positive existence as a twin. Oh, that's right. Can you, you speak to twin. that? So, that's, so, so, Ben, at the time you were the director of admission at Rumsey Hall School, and I am an educational consultant, which is why you and I connected, and we've had this connection until recently when I reached out to you um, noticing something that you had posted on your LinkedIn and I'm going to be reeled in right now so yes. I'm gonna stop I, I'm looking at Mark y'all is... need to <laughs> y'all need to button it right yes all right so... so welcome Ben and I thought that perhaps you could take over and talk about your experience as a twin. Perhaps. Wait, 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 wait. No. Wait. Yeah, dude. The twinning part is interesting. Yes. For Ben, yeah. it is a uh, it is a side uh, interestingness. It is a side show, right? Being a twin, I'm not one myself. But Ben, can you take us from the beginning? So. Folks, we are we're talking to someone who has made monumental lifts in his life, right? And and huge shifts professionally. Correct. And so Ben is a guy from like he's a regular guy, right? Um, and I think what's most interesting about his story is you know where it begins as a kid with anxiety, right? And how that anxiety kind of changed your life, what you did as a result of it, and then how you overcame your anxiety through, you know, uh, relationships and, um, de- you know, facing, like, fears and facing what was happening. Okay, but uh, what are you doing? Let him tell his story, Mark. So I'm, I'm so glad that you both had that intro because it actually is the first time I looked back and said, this is why I made a movie, because it tells the whole story in 45 minutes, and I don't have to go over it all. <laughs> uh, but, right. but uh, you know, the one piece that it doesn't talk about is how I got to that place in my life where I had to either make a choice, uh, well, I had to make a choice. I had to either go and get help or I had to continue killing myself. And it all started when, when I was young, I, I think I was in second grade when I first had my panic attacks and they, came closer and closer apart the, the 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 older I got 
the more common they were. And when we moved to Atlanta in seventh grade, it was a very stressful time for for me and and my twin brother. And we moved there all by ourselves. Uh, my sister, who was 21 at the time, accompanied us to Atlanta for our first two weeks of school. And I remember after the first day, literally having heart palpitations and a full-on panic attack on the front stairs of the school saying I'm dying. Oh my God. And I need to go, I need to go to a cardiologist. And I called my mom who was up in Maine taking my brother to Colby. And I said, mom, like you're not here right now, but, but there's something wrong with me. And I was using, there weren't cell phones and I was using the office telephone. Yeah. And, and she said, just go and go and see your sister. And we go back to the hotel. That's what I would say. And, I'd be like, you're fine, and, you're fine, stupid. Go. Yeah. <laughs> and that was always it. It was it was always like What do you know? You're ten. Some, you know? Yeah. Put a band aid and some neosporin yes, on it. You're yes, totally exactly. fine. Pay some fucking taxes. Then 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 you can have a panic attack. <laughs> right. So the, the the best part was is that you know, my sister was twenty one, so she couldn't even rent a car. And we were not even living in the house. We were living in like the Ritz, the hotel right up the way. Uh, from from where the school was, and so we get picked up in a full on stretched limo. Now, oh my god! If you're going to start out who's, at a school, who's the rich okay? kid having a panic attack being picked up by a limousine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we were the Richie Rich twins. We were the Richie Rich Yankee twins. You know, we were in Atlanta, and oh my god, we have no idea what to do. And so we get to the hotel and. There was a bellman there who was the nicest guy. Um, his name was Ralph, and and he always had our back and, and, and was supportive of us because he was like our dad for two weeks. And I'm like, have you seen my sister? Like, I have a serious problem. And he was like, well, I, have, I haven't seen her all day because we went to the room. She wasn't there, and yeah. we're like, she must be around town. And so where do we go? We go up to the, the, to the top of the hotel where the pool was, and she's sitting out there drinking her margarita. And well, she's twenty-one. I mean, all right. You know, and to each their own. And I'm not going to fault her for that. But like, I was like dying here, and and my sister kind of talked me off the ledge and said, "You're fine. I don't think she really wanted to go to the ER." Dude, no one wants but to go to the ER. You know, this, this started this pattern in my life and um, where I would manifest these anxieties with hypochondria and convince myself I was dying and convince myself I was um, had cancer or what have you. And I guess it was a pretty common thing. And, and I remember... Wait, ben, I was ben, young. Ben, I got... Dude, yeah. hold, hold, hold. In in uh, in uh, what, what was the movie? Hold, I forget it. Anyway, but I ha- I got to unpack some stuff here, man. Like so, whew, like that. I've never had a panic attack, right? So I don't know what it feels like, but I've had you know friends and family members who have, and it does feel like you're dying. Like I get nervous about shit, and I have heart palpitations, and I and, and I and I sweat. I imagine a panic attack is a hundred times worse. So. Ben, like, did that just appear one day out of nowhere, front steps, new school, day one, new town? And you're like, like, was it a culmination of new school, new environment? Like, where's mom and dad? Like, what's happening? And it all came to a head at that moment. And then that manifested itself throughout your younger self? 100%. And... I used to have a worry list that I would have next to my bed of all the things I was worrying at a different time because someone told me it would help. But it ended up making it worse. But it was horrible because I would it would just remind me it would remind me of all those little things that I should have just shrugged off and, and forgotten about. Um, but my mom ended up saying if you had one more panic attack, like we've done like four trips to the ER you know, we've we've gone to specialists for the lungs. We've had specialists for the brain. You don't have any of these cancers. So if you have one more, then we're, I'm going to take you to a psychiatrist. 
And I was like, okay, I won't have another. And then, like, two weeks later, of course, I have one. But, okay. And, but, but then, listen, your, your, mom, your mom is being a mom. A parent is being a parent. You know, if my kid was having a panic attack like this or multiple attacks, I'd be like, I would take, take her to the doctor and, and be like, all right, get a hold of yourself. Like, chill out. Learn how to breathe through it. Learn how to, learn how to think clearly. Like, you're not dying, kid. You're okay. Like, like, like the world is not falling. And as your mom is telling you that in your, you know, developing brain, do you believe her? Do you feel like, oh, shit, there's something really wrong with me still? Are you satiating her... Uh, her need to have you chill, and you're like, yeah, mom, I'll chill, I'll chill, and then it's, it happens again, or, or like, did that did that help you, or did it make you, or did it make it worse when your mom's just like adding stress to your young mind about you're fine, dude, like get over it, or, or did it help you? Well, I think the problem is it's that it's that band aid approach to that many parents have that don't take into consideration working through the issues or working through the problems or figuring out where those problems right. are stemming from, right? It all stems from an inter... Something within my myself where I was just totally overwhelmed. And it's just showing itself with these symptoms of, oh, I'm going to die. And it wasn't that I was what I had at the time, you know, whether it was bladder cancer or skin cancer or any cancer, it was I was going to die in a year. It's just a matter of what was I going to die from. And was your brother feeling the me, same way? You have a twin. Was he feeling the same way? So, you know, we didn't talk much about it. Right. But he made a much smoother transition than I did. Okay. Um, you know, he was he was more social. He was kind of he was more like flirting with the girls and and kind of getting you know f- finding his way. But yeah, there was definitely some stress. But I think that he, he was. He was more enamored with the show that I was putting on <laughs> than anything else. They're like, thank God that's not me, you know? Um, but when I ended up at the psychiatrist, I I think my mom found, like, the scariest psychiatrist in all of Atlanta. He was, like, <laughs> 74 years old. He had some Swedish name and a Swedish accent. He, he his, his eyeglasses were, like, four inches thick. Oh, um, and and I walk into his office, and the first thing, what does he do? He takes out, like, those ink blots, and he asks me what I see. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, out of a movie. I am never going to this creepy dude again. And, and from that moment on, I made a promise to myself, I am not going to tell my mom when I have these feelings. I'm not okay. going to express it. And I, it just allowed me to to really pack it down a little further. And... Those never ended. Those didn't end until 11 years ago. And I continued, yeah, they got, they got, they, they spread further apart from one another. Could you feel it coming I, on? Oh, no. Like, there was something, there's a one time. I was talking to my wife about this the other day. We were in the Providence Mall, and there was something with the lighting in the Providence Mall that day. Uh, and I came in and I went and we were going to the, like Banana Republic or something. And I walk in there and I literally end up crouching underneath one of the displays, like underneath the mannequin. And my wife's like, dude, what is wrong with you? I was wow. like, oh my God, it's all coming down on me. Like, like this light, I feel like I'm going to pass out. Uh, so it wasn't, it definitely wasn't just something in my head. Like it, it was just little things that could, could get me going. Um, and, and I never knew that there was a very, in, until I was educated on this, of course, uh, I didn't understand that there was a close connection between depression and anxiety and that in the end, they are two very inextricably linked ideas. Um, and 
what I found is on the weekends when I turned 16, 17, and I started to party with my friends and become more social and, and, and get out there. You know, when I drank, I found freedom for the first time. I, I didn't have any of those bad feelings. So you felt like it was, you know, they talk about, they talk about alcohol as liquid courage, right? Hell yeah. That was, Mm -hmm. that was what it was for you? It was liquid freedom, maybe. It was liquid freedom. Um, you know, I still had courage. I, I couldn't hold myself up high. I was a leader in the community. I was yep, yep. captain of my soccer team. Uh, but the one thing it did allow me to do was disassociate from my inner feelings. And, you know, both positive and, and negative. So so when I was on top of the world and everything was great, um, it allowed me to kind of chill out and, and, and bring it down a notch. But... I spent more time in the lower cross of of that mentality in 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 just being upset or kind of down in the dumps trying to figure out what the heck is going on trying to unravel it all and uh you know the I learned that when I had an anxiety attack you know by the age I was 23 or 24 and and I really felt something going you know a couple beers would definitely help me out Yep. And, yep. and, and, and not only was this a, a way of me self-medicating, but it was a way for me to just kind of free myself. Uh, and I, I think it's also important to note that I grew up in one of six kids in a family of eight with my parents. We were a very British household, yep. and we were my twin brother Chris and I were the youngest of six kids, and we were big partiers. I mean, I was surrounded by alcohol my whole life from from the day I remember uh, when when I was three or four years old. Right, I got and, questions. And I got questions ben, ben, I got yeah. So, all right, my 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 first question is. You were you said you were like 15, 16, starting to get social, starting to party, right? Mm. Was there a moment, like the first time you got a buzz, and you were like, "Holy shit, this is great! I feel awesome!" Like, do you like? Was that was that like the moment where when you felt that liquid freedom, and you're like, "Whoa, I gotta feel like this more often." Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, it was New Year's. I was actually 13. It was New Year's. And wow. my friend, my friend Casey and I went down to the basement where my siblings were playing quarters, right? Like where you bounce the quarter. And Love that top. game. Yes. Um, you know. We're playing it this it afternoon. Was like, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was the predecessor to uh, Beirut with the beer pong and all that. Yeah. And, yep. um, and, 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 we kind of looked on and said, like, this kind of looks cool. And my oldest brother, who is 10 years older than me, so he's 23, he was like, okay, you try. And so Casey, who was probably like 80 pounds, uh, and, and then for me, I was probably 100 pounds, we end up like drinking like three or four beers each. And I was like, Oh my God! Really? It is on. Uh, and Casey got so sick all over the place, up into the room, and, and I can't listen to the Grateful Dead uh, Shakedown Street without <laughs> thinking of him being so sick all over himself, That's... and me just laughing about it, like I love that. not knowing what to do. I love that. Not knowing how to go go through with it, but then. You know, after that, the next day, I was like, you know, this is this is not a normal thing to to be a thirteen year old and and drinking and and you know you're supposed to be an athlete, you're supposed to be a role model, and and I didn't drink again until you know my end of my sophomore so sophomore summer. All right, there's um there's a scene from the TV. Do you guys remember the TV show in Taxi? Yes. Mm-hmm. Danny DeVito. Uh, yes. There's a scene that your story just reminded me of in Taxi when Jim, the pothead, right, the guy who was always stoned, the scene is Jim is this Harvard scholar 
very studious, very smart. He's at a party. The first time he, he, he tries smoking pot, he gets the gym face, right? And it was like <laughs> all over from there. So when you just told that story of you being 13, like this is the greatest thing ever, that reminded me of that scene in Taxi where, oh, shit, it's on. Like it just completely changed your not personality but a view on stuff and how you feel. Right. So, Ben, I, I got to ask a question, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm interested in this about alcoholism. And mm. is it a gene thing? Is it, yeah, we, we know it's a disease, but I'm looking, I'm looking at a note, and we talk about uh, drink alcoholically, right? It's something you had mentioned in one of our pre sessions. How does one decipher or know the difference between? being addicted to it and not being addicted to it. Like I like to go out and have a couple of pops. Right. But then I, but then I, you know, I have a couple and I get tired and I go to sleep. Right. Like, how do you know if it's leading into something? How do I know that I don't or do have the gene and maybe I'm pushing it down? Like, or, or, or when, when does it become a problem? Is it, is it, does it, does it have to get to the, the ultimatum, if you will? Right. Because, you know, I'm, right. I'm looking at the, the Colby News article, which is just such a great piece on the movie uh, and on your journey. And, you know, I think the ultimatum like that, that's that's where oftentimes people say, hey, I had to hit rock bottom. Do you have to hit rock bottom in order to be in a space where you can find your way back out? Right. And this is my whole take on it. <laughs> and I know that there are a couple schools of thought, but, right. you know, I've done a lot of research. I'm, I've, I've worked with some of the top addiction specialists in the world. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be a guest lecturer at Brown's postdoctorate nice. uh, addiction series. Uh, in, in December and, and speaking to all, all of them about my experiences and, and my understanding of, of alcoholism because it is a little bit different than how most people see it. And number one, I do not think that a person has to reach rock bottom to make the necessary changes in their lives to either give up alcohol or moderate alcohol or whatever they need to do. Right. And there will be, there are a lot of people in, you know, very staunch AAers or, or people in recovery who, who say you, you can't be an alcoholic and drink moderately. Now for me, I know I, I, I can't and don't want to have, any alcohol in my system ever because okay. I just, I just don't want that because it's only led to bad things in my life. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Um, but does that make that, does that mean it's true for, for everyone else? No, I think that a lot of people could benefit from just learning to moderate their drinking and not participate in quote binge drinking Activities, unquote, um, on on a weekly basis, and for the genetic piece, the the one idea that I have heard from these addiction specialists is yes, there is something that we are genetically predisposed to that allows us to rely on a foreign substance to, to make us better people or think we are making ourselves better people. Right. But it is more likely that the genetic predisposition is actually a predisposition to stress and anxiety more than anything. So we are actually inheriting 
this gene that is making us more stressed out and more anxious about things. Which leads and us to self-medicate if we are undiagnosed and untreated? Exactly. Okay. So the fact that the fact that I'm bipolar and 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 I have these ups and downs and I spend a lot of or I used to spend a lot of time in these troughs of, of depression, you know, that was something I may have picked up from a parent and grandparents and thanks you know, for passing I'm, that I'm, down. I'm, Love it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, my, my mom's yeah. giving me high cholesterol. Thanks, mom. You know. Uh, <laughs> right. So, so Ben, ben is, is there – I just want to just roll back for like two minutes. Is, is there a fine line between those who can, quote, unquote, nip it in the bud? And be abstinent completely. No, no, no. Wait, hey, oh, no, no. Okay. Those who can nip it in the bud, meaning recognize that they need help before they hit rock bottom, and those who just – got to hit rock bottom and then they seek help. Like, is there a fine line between those two personality types? So for me, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing and getting out there and getting in front of as many students, you know, college age, high school age, middle school age kids is so that I can show people and I can show them, guess what? Being sober doesn't mean you have to be bored. Being sober doesn't mean you are a loser. Being sober can be amazing where you can do the craziest things. You can do more than you ever would have imagined when you were drinking. And if I can pass that on, then I know that I can catch more people before they have to reach their rock bottoms. And and they can therefore recognizing themselves, you know what, you know, maybe I am spending too much time partying on the weekends and, and, and drinking, you know, 12 drinks on a Saturday night. That's not healthy. Maybe I do need to make a change and, and adopt this mentality because the one piece that I regretted early in, well, before I got sober and early in, in sobriety was that I did not have a single person who I could look up to and say, man, I want to be just like them in their life, leading by example without having to rely on alcohol in my life. Okay, Ben, I'm, I'm really like wanting for us to sort of take a step beyond that because I think on many levels you have spent your life being a role model to young to young people. And this is a perfect platform by which you can, through the telling of your own story, really empower, inspire kids to be just like Ben, just to be like Mr. Tough, right? And I guess my question to you is, as you because because you weren't diagnosed until much later. You mentioned that you were you were diagnosed bipolar and you learned that later on. And when you figured that out, it sort of changed things. That happened as you hit rock bottom, correct? Yes, but I, I think that it's important to say, is, is rock bottom, it's a relative term. Correct, right? correct. Could I, could, I have, could I have gone a lot lower than I went? Oh yeah, I could have. You know, yes, yes, I didn't, of course, I didn't of course. Hurt anyone, right? I didn't hurt anyone. I didn't um, get a DUI, like a lot of people claim. So I, I, I think it's it's important to recognize that you, on this on this scale, uh, and and that's why I sort of have a, some trouble with the whole idea of being at a rock right, bottom, right? It's just because it's relative, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's so relative. Like, right. I, so you get diagnosed, you decide you are going to embrace sobriety. And of all things, you decide to do it by way of swimming. And, and I think I've read and you, and you and I have spoken about it. You were like, Christine, I had to teach myself to swim. And I'm like, wait a minute, you grew up summering in, you know, um, in Rhode Island, like you, you couldn't swim. And you were like, well, we, we swam, but like not swimming, like, not like the kind of swimming you know? that you yeah. ended up doing. So 
how did that happen? And and I'm gonna I'm gonna speed things up, Mark, because I know you're gonna try to reel me in. You're getting but anxious. The other piece of <laughs> the other piece is how did this movie come to be? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's a difference between not drowning and swimming. Yes. And yes. I, I not drown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I keep my head above right? water. I got lots of movement below the water. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm um, a not drowner too. Yeah, and I was so good at not drowning and and kind of fooling around, but I, I, I would still get mouthfuls of water. I'd never had my face in the water. I didn't know what goggles were. And I could get, you know, 25 yards to the float um, to go lie in the sun for a little bit and back. Uh, so why swimming, though? Like, why didn't you decide run. to run like like most people would? Right. Like they'd be like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to run. You decided to swim, which is something you didn't feel like you could even do. Was it the challenge? Were you drawn to the challenge? So I, it was I was a runner and a cyclist going into rehab. And Interesting. on the fourth on the fourth day at rehab, I was told that I had to come back from the morning meeting with a sponsor. So I went into this meeting of a hundred guys and somehow I had to figure out which dude was going to be my sponsor. And I had to ask him to be my sponsor. And I heard this one guy talk, his name was Ken and he had an Irish accent and he was talking about doing triathlons and I was like, okay, uh, I feel like this is kind of like going on a speed dating thing, and and this is a little weird, but I'm going to go up and ask him. And I said, Ken, can you be my sponsor? And um, and then one other thing, like doing triathlon sounds like so badass to me. Yeah, and to me too, I'm gonna, yes. yes. Yeah, and if, if, if I'm going to give up on these vices in my life of, of you know, of alcohol, I want to be the healthiest dude alive good for you right i wanted yeah. to just like kick butt hell yeah and um and he was like yeah i didn't know how to i didn't know how to swim either you, you'll learn in no time and so right afterwards instead of doing the smart thing by taking swim lessons because i think i was too proud or i don't know <laughs> I, I just wanted to do I'm it i'm 22 years old own. i'm not taking swim lessons right. i'm not an infant <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, I, I started to, to learn how to swim very like slowly in the beginning, but then it got it 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 really just fell into place. And one of the things that Ken did uh, when he sponsored me, he said, "Okay, Ben, on the last day of my rehab, he said, Ben, you have a you have a race coming up." I was like, "What are you talking about?" He was like, "I signed you up for a triathlon. It's two and a half months from now." Yes, and <laughs> and I was like. No way. I can't swim. There's no way I'm going to be able to swim a half mile at this thing. And two and a, literally two and a half months after I went and participated in this triathlon and actually finished like the middle of the pack. And I, I, I did triathlon for about six or seven years. And then two things happened. Number one, I got so competitive. All I wanted to do was beat everybody. And I was looking at people's calves to see what age groups they were in. And I was like, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. And I was like, this isn't what I was doing. Like, I didn't want to participate in triathlon just so I could beat everybody. And then number two, the second thing that happened is my wife decided that she was going to do triathlons. I was like, awesome. We can train together. This is going to be really special. And then she started kicking my ass. Like, literally. (laughs) Go Gretchen. yeah, so she beat me in uh, in Ironman. I think it was like uh, it was a half Ironman in Maine by like ten minutes. And I was like, I am. I I bow down to you. You won. You are the leader of the pack. I'm done with triathlon. I'm just going to swim from now on. And that was it. <laughs> so that so that was like your zero hour in terms of deciding to swim and and um, turn away from triathlons. That's brilliant. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's important to note that for me, I found training for swimming once I got the sw- once I got the breathing down and, and all that. It was such a peaceful place for me to disappear in my own thoughts, and I was like kicked out of every mindfulness and meditating uh, session in in rehab because I was so ADHD. I couldn't sit still. I was awful at it. 
But something happened to me in the water and continues to happen in the water. And I can just disappear and, and process all my thoughts in a really healthy, amazing way. And, 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 you know, when I'm running, the whole time I'm running, I'm like, this sucks so bad. I hate every second of this. Meanwhile, like, my wife is like, you look like a freaking ostrich when you run. No matter, like, what you do, it's going to hurt your body. Like, you got to stop running. Um, so so swimming just came to me. And then once I got to the open water, it was like, oh, my gosh. Now not only am I, like, free in my thoughts, but free as to where I can go and what I do. And I can go from here to there. And it was just such a beautiful, powerful thing. Sw- swimming for me... It has always been, you know, not not really stressful, but, you know, kind of like a challenge. I grew up with a pool in the backyard, and and the way I I describe me swimming, and I I use my hand, and I tilt my hand, like, head up, dragging my feet, right? Like, my feet, arms, and legs don't work together. But I'm able to keep my head up, you know, as we said, stopping ourselves from drowning. Um, I totally get the quiet place like yeah mentality you know when i run um i don't run with any music i run or i lumber i like to say i'm not a great runner but i like the i like the the exercise um i process my day in an hour right in a couple of miles and what i'm going to do uh and then i'm like energized throughout the day um when you're swimming, do you I'm, – I'm curious. You know, they, they, they talk about like these runners high, right? And you can apply that to any physical activity, right? Um, do you get that same type of endorphin rush when you're swimming at the time of swimming or post? And, dude – and I want you to talk about it. The length of the swims you do is well, yeah, friggin' the, mind-boggling. And the open water piece, because I think, yeah, great. I'm glad you feel free, Ben. But like, Aren't you there sharks have, around there? You have been swimming in open waters that are known to be very sharky. Yeah, but again, uh, once you get over the whole sharkiness aspect of it all, uh, you you realize. You know, the chances are pretty slim. Uh, you know, I get more worried when I'm swimming on, like, the west coast of Florida for, like, the little nipper sharks that are going to, like, Bite off your take my take my foot off or something. Yeah, yeah. But I said to my wife, like, even that, if that happens, like, at least I'll have an excuse for being a slow swimmer, you know, <laughs> if I'm, I'm missing something. Nice. Um, uh, but like the the big swim from Block Island to to Jamestown was yes. the sharkiest of swims that I did, and I, I wore the Ocean Guardian, which is a shark deterrent, like a three foot cable that comes off of my ankle, uh, and it puts off an electric shock, and it's That's supposed crazy. to keep the sharks away. Hold up, <laughs> hold up! You got a three yeah. foot cable electrified. You're in water. And it's supposed to deter sharks. Okay, listen, man. I like to do adventurous stuff. I don't want a friggin' shark three feet from me. <laughs> right? I I don't want dude, I don't want a shark anywhere near me. Like I like to I'm not afraid of heights. I like to be in like I like to walk to the edge of a mountain and and look over the edge and be like, oh shit, yeah, if I slip, I'm I'm screwed. Swimming to me, man, it's just so fucking hard, right? It's, you know, it's so... It is probably one of the hardest exercises, I think. They say it's the best exercise for your body because it uses every limb. And it doesn't put stress on your joints, right? Like, you should see my ankles. My ankles are whack right now from, from running. So, Ben, do you... Let me ask you, man. Like, I'm always interested in, in understanding physiology, Right or physicality of yeah. people who are athletes and people who I like to say are built differently, right? Um, for you, Ben, do you get tired? Like, do you have yeah. to come up to yeah. water? Do you have to come up to eat, or can you just go? Yeah. 
Yeah, so like my last swim that the movie was based off of, yeah. um, or that the movie was on, was a 15-hour swim. And Dude, I, I, you know, I just want to like hang up on you right now. A 15-hour swim. Like what? Like who does that? Yeah. So yeah, every every 30 minutes I would stop and, and take in 17 ounces of uh, liquid and... I I think I had like five peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, a wow. half of a watermelon, um, a lot of maple syrup, you know, you know mm. whatever sounded good to me at the time. And and when you train taking in all this stuff, like eating and, and drinking, everyone's like, you can't eat or drink within 45 minutes before you go swimming. I'm like, yeah, right. I do it the whole time. You, you, you do know, it while you're swimming. Up. Sharks yeah, love the no smell problem. of maple syrup, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right? So, um, because so, you had a so, boat following you, right? So you could pick and choose of the things that you liked. Yes? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and so when it comes to fueling, I've got it dialed in. I know what my body needs. You know, David, who's my coach, he is one of the foremost uh, experts on uh, exercise and and physiology and works at the uh, Corey Stringer Institute at University of Connecticut. And and he's like, okay, Ben, we know exactly what you need, how you need it, when you need it, and um, we've got to dial it. And and then the rest is mind over matter because no matter what, after six hours of doing anything, it's it sucks yeah. Um, yeah. when you're using, the, you know, when you're using the same muscles over and over again, it, it's, it's really hard, yeah. but you know, the best part of my experience and, and this is what one of the biggest pieces of my message to these kids are, um, or to grownups is that I've worked through so much and been through, through so much in my life. It's allowed me to push my mental wall to a whole nother level and, and my physical wall. And as a result, I can swim forever and yeah, it sucks. And yeah, I feel like I'm going to die, but I'm not, you know, it's just a matter of telling yourself that you can keep going and you can keep moving and you can accomplish what you set out to do. Ben, what's, what's stronger, the mental game or the physical game? I'd say, well, leading up to it, it's all physical. Um, and then the more you practice your mental game, the the better off you're going to be on the day of the event. Because it's definitely the mental game that allows that keeps you to you complete it or not. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, like, like I've, I've been running, and sometimes my head's not in it, and I just stop, and I walk, Right. But there's been days when I call them like Viking runs, where I feel like a friggin' Viking in the woods, right? And I'm running, yeah. and that's a good mental day, right? So I think I think it's interesting that, and I never knew, dude. I'm not an athlete, but and I only started running a few years ago. But I, I never knew how important the mental piece was to your workout, right, and to your well being. Totally. And it's so funny because like David always gets mad at me because I hate doing a wimpy swim, like a thousand yards, a 2000 yard swim, you know, which is like, I don't know, a mile swim. Like to me, I'm like, what's the point? Like I, I, I want to do at least a two and a half to four mile swim every single day. Because that's just like, that's what I want and that's what I need. And that's what I need to prove to myself that I can do on a daily basis. Right. And I don't, I don't think I've ever cut. I'm just trying to think. I don't think I've ever cut any of my long swims or swims short. Uh, if anything, I'll try and go a little bit above it, which uh, is probably equally as bad, but says a lot about my mentality. I get that. No, I, 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 I think athletes will get that too. That, and you said it, proving it to yourself, right? Right. And repetition and consistency. And and I feel, dude, I feel psyched after 
a good run. Or even after a shit run, I still went the same distance. It took me longer. I didn't burn as many calories. But I completed it, right? You know, when, when I was doing CrossFit, one of the things you learn in CrossFit is just don't stop moving, right? Just keep moving. Whether you even have to friggin' crawl, just keep moving, right? Just right. Com- complete the task. And that's kind of – I'm applying that here because whether you're doing a four-and-a-half-mile swim or a four-mile run – Maybe some of your run is a bit of a walk because you're tired, but the end game is you completed it, right? And you didn't stop. Yeah, and I work with a lot of – so one of my favorite people to work with are those people who are kind of having a midlife crisis in their sobriety. And what I mean by that is like, you know, the the 45-year-old who's, you know, 10, 15 years sober – and they're like, what am I doing now? What are my goals? Like, I need something to, to really jumpstart everything. And oftentimes, I suggest doing something athletic, whether it be doing a triathlon or learning how to swim or, or anything like this. And the first thing I tell them is, take your watch off. Take, take anything that records anything and just concentrate on enjoying the moment. For as long as you want or for as little time as you want, just enjoy that moment because it is going to make such a difference in the end. If you learn to enjoy it from the beginning and then you start working in mileage and all that. Well, it's it's funny, man. Like, Like I challenge myself on my runs and wear a Fitbit. And like literally monitor. I'm like, oh, that's only 700 calories. I didn't run hard enough. You know, <laughs> oh, that was only you know 1,100 calories. Um, but I, but I, I like doing that. I'm kind of like a data geek, data nerd on looking at stats of myself, right? Because I find it, I find it interesting, and that's part of my motivation. Is you know, so like two days ago, it was super hot in Massachusetts. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I just want to see. During the same time frame or same distance, how many more calories I can burn because it's wicked hot. I was fucking passed out on the on the trail, but um, I, I wanted to. I just wanted to test myself, right? And I wanted to see whether the weather made a difference in my calorie burn. It did. I mean, percentage wise, maybe ten, fifteen percent. But it was kind of cool to kind of geek out a little bit on. Um, oh, so if I run when it's seventy six degrees, you know, it's interesting. Well, that being said, and, though, uh, and, it'll be yeah, interesting to not you. do that, right? Like, there, yeah. there's there's Ben's challenge to us. Because I'm the kind of person yep. who will leave my house yeah. for a walk and my Fitbit's not on. I will go back to the house to, to pick it up. Yeah, that's <laughs> yep. yeah. Yeah, I would challenge you to instead, uh, you know, one out of five of those runs, just concentrate on what you get out of those experiences on a mental standpoint okay you know okay just, challenge, just, challenge accepted. just think about what you get out of it on a psychological standpoint and say at the end of the day that was a great workout i probably burned a, a, a ton of calories but this is what i really got that's that's I'll, that's good advice yes yes i will listen uh, i i will definitely take that advice um listen i i don't have to necessarily have it on me. I like it on me. I know how I feel. Listen, man, if you were to do a conference call with me professionally at 9, at 9 a.m. between 9 and 12, I'm wired, right? <laughs> like people are like, bro. You're t-, always wired. They're like, bro, take, take <laughs> it down 10 notches. And like, no, I'm like I went for a run, you know? Like that's how good it makes me feel. Like I don't understand. Awesome. You know, what, what I'm trying to figure out, Ben, for you when you're swimming – my my uh, my high is post run, not during run. Right during run, you want to die. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 agonizing. Right, but a whole another topic of conversation. I've I've manifested that I'm going to live till I'm 95, and this is part mm-hmm. of how I'm getting to living till 95 by working in my cardio. My my body is supposed to work the way it's supposed to work for as long as I possibly can which is why I do these things. Totally another topic. But yes. I take I accept that challenge of not having a device on me and just enjoying the moment. We will report back. We will report back. <laughs> so we have not gotten to where I want to get to, which is the movie. 
right? Because oh, right. You, you embraced these challenges, like, because Gretchen was beating you at the triathlons and you were like, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to do something big because I'm a competitive person, right? Um, so you start these open water swims and you start swimming for causes. How does the mood, like, how is it that somebody approaches you and says, hey, let's make a movie, Let's make you the star. Let's talk about okay. what this story means to people and how does it potentially change the trajectory of your life, your professional pathway, all of it. And uh, it, it, it's uh, certainly changed my trajectory quite yes. a bit. Uh, um, and, and maybe I was going to get there one way or another in time, um, you know, Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Who knows? Yep, yep. And you know, this all started when my twin brother went to a conference in North Carolina, and one of the other speakers at the conference was a documentary maker, and his name was Matt Corliss, and he had finished making uh, the movie The Social Dilemma, yes, and um, and Free Solo, and he he was a videographer on Free Solo, and um, he did Chasing Corals and Chasing Ice and, and some other pretty big films. And and he like, and he made your movie. So he called me the next day, and I was traveling for Rumsey, going to different educational fairs yep. uh, for kids. And I was we were driving across the, uh, Everglades, and. I got a call from him, and he was like, hi, my name's Matt, and I'm a director. I thought my brother was full of crap when he told me he talked to this director, and that he wanted to make a movie, and I got talking to him, and, and Matt said, I heard you do these crazy swims, and you raise a ton of money for environmental causes. Like, can you tell me a little bit more about it? And I, I told him, and I said, but like, I think it's important that you know that I, the real reason why I swim is because it helps me with my sobriety. And I, and he said, well, tell me more about that. And I told him all about my story and my recovery. He said, Ben, I was a little skeptical at first, but this story isn't a story about adventure. It's a story about recovery and finding adventure. Yeah. And I'm flying up there um, from, from Colorado. I'll be up in, in um, your area in five weeks' time. Dude, I'm and, getting goosebumps. And let's, and let's do it. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. I was like, so, so what, do I, what do I do? Like, he was like, well, I think we'll probably need about 5000 bucks, and, uh, and, and that'll get us started, and, and we'll make a good teaser and and we'll go from there. And uh, literally, he came up and he filmed. And you know, he asked some really hard questions. And you know, Gretchen wasn't there at the time, and she she was very kind of taken aback because she had talked to her sister about like what they talked about, about like how they talked about my low points, about how I found you know ended up like almost losing it all. And, and she was like, Ben, I'm not going to go through, I don't want to rehash all this bad stuff that happened sure. in, our, in our life and in your life. And, and I was like, well, I, let's talk to Matt about this in, on a conference call. And, and Matt said to both me and, and Gretchen, she, he said, this is not going to be an episode of intervention. Right. This is this not is a sob be, story. This yes, is a story yeah. of empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And 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 we are going to only focus on the, the, the positive aspects of the story, how Ben has changed his life, and in turn, through this movie, we are going to help change the lives of others. And it was uh, go time after that. And I already knew I was doing the Providence. You know, I wanted to be the first person to swim all of Narragansett Bay. And uh, I wanted to swim those 24 miles from Providence to Jamestown. And he got there four days before, documented the whole thing. And um, and meanwhile, he he's become a very good friend of mine and is a part of my support team. And that's what's that's the coolest part of the whole thing. That's awesome, dude. So, Ben, how do we... 
I, you know, I sort of feel like this is the 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 time where I want to say like, okay, everybody, you need to watch Swim Tough. It's forty five minutes. It's not a huge, like ninety minute, hundred and twenty minute film. It's impactful and powerful. Um, Ben, we're so, so thrilled that you were here with us today. And I do want to make sure that you can plug both how we get to watching Swim Tough and how we get in touch with you, Ben, because I know that part of your work is as a sobriety coach, as a motivational speaker, and as somebody who is committed to educating um people of all ages about what it is to be in recovery and and perhaps um, be able to live the unbelievably amazing exuberant life that you live because it's cool to be sober. Right, right. And, and that's exactly what it's all about for me. I'm so tired of sobriety and uh, addiction just being bundled up with negative ideas. Yeah. Uh, you know, as, as I said in the movie, I am the proudest and happiest alcoholic in the world. And during one of my talks, I had a student, uh, an eighth grader, ask me, you know, if you could change it, would you change the fact of you being an alcoholic? And I said, no way, mm. because I wouldn't be able to work through what I've worked through, and I wouldn't have been able to discover what I've been able to discover about myself. Yeah. Um, so I do really want to pass on this message, and I'm in the process of talking to different people in distribution uh, from major networks, from HBO to Paramount, Very um, cool. about, about getting the, the movie out there to the masses. Um, in the meantime... I am showing it at the various events that, that I screen the movie at yep. uh, across the, the U.S. And, and also with my talks. Um, the, the movie plays a big part of, of my talk and will either show it before I, I speak to the, the students or, or parents or, or, or people that I'm talking to yep. uh, or during it. And, um, and, and so... Uh, I guess just be patient on on the release of that. All right. Well, we'll and, be looking out for that. <laughs> and I, I am a certified uh, recovery coach and and work with people of uh, all backgrounds on their journey of recovery. And um, you know, some are very early in recovery, and some again need that jump start and and just need to figure out where they're at. And uh, when I was getting going through training, I said to myself, like, everybody, every human being needs to have that mm. and, yeah. and yeah. This, this opportunity. Just like I think that every human being should have the chance to go to rehab because rehab gets such a bad rap, but it's a chance to rebirth. Yeah. And it, it was exactly that for me because I figured out what was going on in my head. I figured out how to be me. I figured out how to work through my hardest issues to work through, and um, it, it's, it's made me who I am today. Uh, and uh, if, if anybody is uh, interested in learning more about me and what I do, you can always go to my uh, website, uh, swimtough.com. Swimtough.com. Yep, swimtough.com, and my Instagram is at ben.tough. And uh, you can also feel free to email me, even if you just have a couple questions, or if you're sober curious, as they call it, you can email me at bentuff at gmail.com. I, I think we should tell everyone that it's T-U-F-F. Yes. As your surname? Yes. All right. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you've got a soccer game to get to before you travel, and... Um, we're so, so thrilled that you were able to to share your story and your zero-hour moments. And I will be in touch because I would love for you to come and talk to our kids. Um, I just I just want to hang out with them. Yeah. I want, I want to go up to VT and hang out with them. Well, you know, Vermont is our happy place, as I told you on our on our call. So you can, you can expect um, that we might want to knock on your door and see if we can hang out and get a little bit of your energy in awesome. person. Ben, we appreciate you, man. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you right. so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Ben. Ladies and gentlemen, 
That was Mr. Ben Tuff, swimtuff.com, T-U-F-F. Thank you, sir, for being a part of us, for being an inspiration, for coaching, for helping, for being kind, for being a human being, for identifying stuff that needs to be worked on and taking charge of your life. We appreciate you and that. Um, Thank you. That's it for the Zero Hour. It's your co-host, Mark Fierce and... And your host, Christine Chapman. Thank you, and have a great day. Peace, y'all.